0: Father God, it's more than just a song, Lord God. It's more than chords, it's more than hits, it's more than strums on a guitar, Father God. Sing it as well as a lifestyle, a lifestyle that we live on to you, Father God. When we say it is well, Lord God, we say we are okay with pain. We are okay with trials, Lord God. We are okay with people dying. We are okay with struggles, Lord God. Because we know that you have an ultimate purpose for our life, Lord God. So when we say it is well and when we sing it is well with my soul, help us to really mean that, Lord God. Help us not to complain and blame you when things go wrong in our eyes, Lord God. Help us to say, God, it is well. Like Job did on his perceived deathbed. He said, it is well with me. Father God, we thank you for that truth, Lord God. Help us to live this life, Lord God, where everything is okay because we're in the arms of you, the arms of our Savior. As we prepare to hear our word, the word that you have for us, my word, help my heart to be in line and ready to receive. Be with Pastor James as he brings this word. This has been such an on-time series for me personally, Lord God, and I thank you. It's okay to be stuck because you're refining me, Jesus. Prepare us as we listen to your word, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Father, Father, we just finished singing songs about how every season in our life, how you are there and how we can trust you throughout every season. And as we sing about it being well with our soul, God, we pray that these songs, would be much more than songs, but they would be the cry of our heart. We believe that you are a good God. We believe that your word is true, but there is a season where we will be tested and we will cry out to you to help our unbelief. And for some of us today, that's the season that we're in right now. God, we pray that you would remove all the distractions Pray that you would remove all the distractions and that we would focus in on you. God, we've come here today not just simply to hear inspiration from a man. What we've come to do is hear a word from the Lord. So we pray, God, that in this preaching event, that the spirit of God would work through a man again. That you would speak. And God, we know that your scriptures are true and real. But for some reason, you preach and you use people. So, God, do it again. Use people again. Use me again. And God, we pray that at the end of this time, we know that you have spoken. We ask all this in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming out today. Uh, my name is Pastor James, I'm the lead pastor here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, hopefully I get a chance to meet you after service. Now, we also want to make you aware of our next upcoming, not really series, but sermon. And that will be on this upcoming Sunday. That will be for Christmas. And uh, the reason why we think it's really appropriate is because we know that many of you are in a season of life right now where we said you might feel stuck. But we know that you're longing for hope. And in this Christmas season, we know that there are people that you're connected to longing for hope as well. So we pray that you would invite some of your friends, family, and we pray that you would come out uh, next Sunday. We'll also have our kids singing. So that will be a fun time. And uh, my daughter made it to be Mary And uh, one of the other kids is uh, Joseph, and uh, I told him nothing happened, so praise God. (laughs) Um, All right, so um, we're in a series called Stuck, and we're in that series uh, primarily because, you know, we live in a different day and age. And, you know, even when I was growing up in the early 90s, um, you know, you were going to, you know, you had dreams, and you hopefully they worked out. But there was just so much pressure. But I think this generation, this season of life, this is the most pressured generation to be successful that there's ever been. Because you are in a world of comparison. It's not enough to be one thing. You've got to be many things. And you are constantly bombarded by how other people are doing. It's hard to feel settled. It's hard to be comfortable with who you are and how God has made you. And so for many people, you hear of, as we said before, a a midlife crisis. But for some of you, you will face a quarter-life crisis. Before you know it, you'll be asking yourself the question, how did I get here? I'm not where I thought I would be at this point in my life. So we want to prepare you for that. And the question that we're asking is, what do you do when life has not met your expectations? In particular, what do you do when life with God has not met your expectations. And if you're not in that season of life right now, guaranteed, at some point, you'll be there, no matter what part of life it is. You know, you could be in medical school, and you had dreams of being a doctor, and it doesn't look like that's going to work out. Academically, you're not where you thought you would be, or you wanted to be a lawyer, you went to law school, and doesn't look like you may end up being that lawyer. You were uh, going to be an actor or a dancer or a singer. You came to New York with all these dreams, and those dreams just aren't working out. You got married because you thought marriage was the answer. And then once you got married, you found out that marriage is good, but sometimes it's bad. I mean, it's overall. It's sometimes it's just I. But then you thought to yourself, well, you know, what I need to do is get married because I'm not married and I'm, in, I'm single. And once I get married, that will be the, the answer. But, you know, you're, you're coming to find out there's nobody you, you want to marry or at least nobody wants to marry you or what's going on. You're trying to figure out what's wrong with me. And so we, we get into these seasons of life and you feel jealous. You're tempted to feel jealous and resentful. And you're comparing your life to everyone else's life because everybody has the life that you were supposed to have. And you're looking at them and you're wondering what's wrong? How did this work out? They have the health, the job, the relationships that I was supposed to have. And so you're tempted to run and quit and hit the eject button. And you wrestle with the faith itself, you wrestle with the relationships itself. And you can't help but conclude that nothing good can come from this and that there's no point in continuing on. You feel stuck. You're not where you want to be. And yet, the amazing thing is, is that what we've discovered from this series and what we've said in this series is that the people that brought us the New Testament we were not surprised by the possibility of adversity. In fact, they still felt that you could have a good God and have very troubling, intense circumstances. And in our Western world, we have a hard time believing that God can still be good, but life can have bad things happen. And so we, we've, we've said throughout this series, we talked about contentment. We talked about how God is, even though he is silent, he is not absent. We said all these things because we want to prepare you for life with trials. And the amazing thing is you've actually met people or you've heard of people that are in situations and circumstances that you're in right now. In other words, they have adversity that you're facing right now. But simultaneously, they have more joy than you. You've heard of these people, right? You've met them. You know, you're like a, you're, you're a mom with two kids. And you're with some moms. And you're like, life is crazy. I got two kids. Kids are crazy. Everybody's like, yeah, they're crazy. And then you meet this one mom. And she's like, yeah, I got six kids. And you're like, how are you making it? she's like, I just trust the Lord. And you're like, oh, my God. What kind of person are you? Even if you haven't met these people, you have a suspicion that that kind of life exists, that kind of perspective exists. And if you know these people exist, here's the truth that we're going to talk about today. God's intention for you is to be one of those people. One of those people that can't stand the circumstance that they're in, but they still have peace, they still have joy, and they still believe and trust in their God. Because that is what the Bible describes as maturity. And God's process to mature you is through trials. And you will not be able to avoid them. And you, 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 you're cute. Yes, you're cute. And you're smart. And all these great attributes about you, but you will not be able to avoid trials in your life. And so what we need is a perspective to endure. If you have uh, a Bible um, or you have your phone, uh, feel free to go to James chapter 1. We're going to look at the very beginning part of James. James chapter 1. You can look here on the screen. In James chapter 1, James says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, just by way of background, you know, one of the greatest things I get to do is study the Bible, and I get to learn, like, cool facts. Well, one of the things you probably already know is that James is the brother of Jesus. But the crazy thing is, is that when you look in the background of James himself, he's nowhere to be found in the New Testament. There's another James, but it's not this James. This James is nowhere to be found. In fact, when Jesus is being crucified, James is not even around. So much so, it's so bad that Jesus is. Tells one of his disciples, John, to take care of his mother because James wasn't around. James, for all we know, had completely disengaged his family and did not believe Jesus was the Christ because it was his brother. Now, think of your family, all right? So, then when you have a brother who's going around saying he's the Lord, that's probably your biggest impediment to faith. But look what he says in the text. James, a servant of God. Well, we're good with that. But then he says, of the what? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about his brother. So you see, the depth of this is that it was only the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brought him to faith. It wasn't just his miracles. He wasn't impressed by that. It was only the resurrection. So it's just an incredible historical document that we have here. And we see that James most likely is you know, being influenced by divine truth because he's saying things that I I would never say to you and that we wouldn't generally ever say to one another. James says in verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. No one says that kind of stuff. This is divine. He says when you face trials. Now, understand the word face there the word face it it really uh, is kind of a word that we would talk about if someone was shipwrecked or if someone was robbed the word face really is saying you've been blindsided so the essence of this is that whenever you are blindsided by a trial you know the doctor called and gave you the worst news you, you, your sister calls and tells you some information about your family that you couldn't have imagined. I mean, you walk into work, ready to work, just to find out there's no more work. You're blindsided. And the natural emotion when you are blindsided is rage. It's just like what happens on the road. If if you drive, that's why they call it road rage. Because you feel secure in your car and somebody's taking away your security. So you look at them with that death stare because you don't feel secure anymore. And that's what you do. You're like, God, what is going on? I, I didn't plan for this. You've been blindsided. So he says, when you face a trial, and you will face a trial, you'll be blindsided by a trial. He says, consider now. What he's getting at is the way that you think. He's not saying if, he didn't say if you face a trial. He said you're going to face trials. What I want you to do, what I'm concerned about, is how you're thinking during that trial. Concerned about your thought process. So he says consider, meditate on, think about this. Joy. Now he's not saying joy from the trial itself. But what the trial will produce. The long-term product of that trial. He's saying Know that God is working and have joy in the fact that God is working. And so that's why he says in verse 3, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So here, I said this earlier in the series, no matter where you're at, I don't care if, you, if you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you're a new wherever you're at. Here you're going to see how God matures believers. He says, there's something you need to know, key word, consider, No, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So trials, trials test our confidence in God. Do you really believe that God is good? Do you really trust God? That he is a provider. Do you really trust that he cares for you? Because for the most part, even though we say these things right now, in our heart, they're just a hypothesis. They're just a theory. And in science, something goes from a theory to a law based upon evidence over time. You've got to keep testing it. And so what happens is right now, God moves you from that place from theory to law. By knowing for yourself. Knowing for yourself. Not what you read about in these New Testament heroes or the people you hear about. He wants you to know him for yourself. And so God is on trial. So what we have to realize is that God uses undeserved, unavoidable, unexpected trials. So what we have to do is expect the unexpected. And know... That God uses the unexpected. Now, you really can't expect the unexpected, but when the unexpected happens, think, think, consider, no. Just get into your thought process these words. So he says, consider, know that you are being tested, your faith. And what it produces is perseverance, a persevering type faith, an enduring type. Faith, and this is the kind of faith, this is the kind of faith that most honors God. Because when you look in the New Testament, you'll see that there are times when Jesus actually keeps saying to people, why do you keep doubting? Why do you keep doubting? And then there will be people that believe, and he gets excited, he gets pleased, he gets honored. He's honored and pleased by faith. And faith that always gets a yes by God doesn't even press you. If, you would have, if, you, if God answered every prayer last week, every single prayer, and you believed, that's impressive. But if God said no, or if God didn't answer at all, but you believed anyway, or you had faith anyway, that's the kind of faith that honors God. That's a persevering and enduring faith. So I just want to awaken you to this idea I want, to, I want your eyes to be open to the depth of trials because we said this as well. You don't choose trials. You've never, There's not one trial you chose. And I wouldn't choose a trial for you. I wouldn't think about a trial that to, to endure. That's not my plan. I don't choose trials. You don't choose trials. But God chooses trials. And he chooses to use trials to mature us. It's his choice. It's his loving, sovereign choice. So then he commands us to do something. This is our part. In verse 4, it says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Now, I'm not going to mess with... James and the New Testament, but I'm just going to kind of work with this verse a little bit because I believe that this is what he's really saying. He's saying let perseverance finish its work, but this is what the text is actually getting at. Let God finish his work in you. That's what the essence of the text is. Let him finish what he was starting. And there is a temptation to hit the eject button, to hit the run button, to hit the abandon button, to hit the quit button, to hit the divorce button, to hit all these different buttons, to run away And the scriptures call God a refuge, a strong tower, and the righteous run to him. But when we are in trials, we want to run away. And And sometimes the last person we want to talk to is the Lord. And what he's saying is, come and stay connected to me in the midst of unresolvable tension. Because in that tension, that is the focal point of God's activity. In that very place that you are doubting, and in that very place of unresolved tension, is where God is choosing to work. Life is just complicated. Life is so complex. And people hurt you, and you have dreams, and you have these thoughts and ideas. And suddenly there is this plan, even if you've never spoken to it, there's this plan that you believe that is going to work out. And the complexities of life cause us to be confused. And it confuses us about the character and the goodness of God. And so we cannot run from him. We want to run to him. And so he says in verse 4, Let perseverance, let it finish its work. He's really saying, let God finish his work on you. Here's the reason why. So that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. No deficiencies, no coming up short. This is his process to mature. So what we can conclude is Sunday school. Is not God's primary process to mature you, nor is it seminary. Because I've met many smart, immature people. That is not his process. And this is the wild part. A husband won't complete you. He says because this is how he completes you and matures you. Now the trial when you get married, that will complete you. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. But this is, look at what he says, complete, or you have the word perfect. But it's saying you're going to fulfill the intended design that God has for you. But it will become, it will come through him maturing you and growing you in the midst of trial. You see, God is in the process of making you honest. He's making you authentic. When you sing, he wants it to be real. He doesn't want you to sing things like through it all and you're thinking about, am I my harmony and is this, oh my, what key am I in? He's not, he doesn't want you to be at that place where you're singing for the basis of performance. He wants you to sing from an authentic love and drive for him. He, he's, he's fighting to make you honest. He's fighting to make you real about this love thing that we so easily espouse. so he is pushing you. Why is this so incredibly important? No knock on any place I've served, but the world is filled with shallow Christians who are extremely knowledgeable, who are extremely moral, and they, they pray for the weather. And grandma, and all these things, but they lack so much depth. And it is so impressive when you talk to someone who God marks them right down to the valley of the shadow of death, and they're able to talk about it, and they, and they come right out of it. And you hear them, and as they speak, and then they, as they testify, you can tell there is a real, there, there's, a, there's an authenticity there and a depth. And that's what he's longing to make you into. And that's what I long for you to be. And unfortunately, it's far too rare. And, and you hear them talk and you take them out to eat. And you're like, wow, there's there's God, God's been working in your life. And it's just too rare. It's like finding a unicorn or Bigfoot. It's like an authentic Christian. Look. The world is filled with people who just focus on morality, but not real worship, real love. You can tell when somebody's in love with God because they've brought them through so many things. It's intense. And so, this is hard. And so what he says in light of this being hard is, James recognizes this, James 1 and 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. You should really talk to God about that. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Now, just keep in mind... This is a promise from God. This is a promise that if you are in a trial, one of the things that you can do is ask for wisdom, and it says he will give it to you. So that's a promise you can bank on. does not mean it will come in the immediate moment you ask, but it means that you should be able to trust in that. And the tough part is that in times of tension, the last thing I want is wisdom. I want relief. Not only do I want relief, I want to survive. I want to get out. God, get me out of this. I don't want insight. But James says, ask for wisdom. Now, after you cry and after you're upset and after you've been blindsided, add to your prayer a prayer for wisdom. Because this is what he says. He believes that you're going to ask for all the other stuff. Ask for wisdom. And in asking for wisdom, realize this, that wisdom is the ability to see current circumstances within a broader context. So it's just an 80,000-foot view. It's just seeing things from a different perspective. But he believes that that perspective will help you to endure. And every parent knows the power of this kind of wisdom. My daughter, Leah, the other week, actually it was Saturday, we went to the park and as we went to the park, there was a woman giving out cranberries. And Leah came to me and said, can I ask for a cranberry? And I said, did she offer you a cranberry? She said, no, she didn't offer me that. And I said, well, if she didn't offer it to you, then don't ask for it. Because, you know, she's, she's got that for her kids, and so don't worry about it. <coughs> Total and complete meltdown. And I mean, like, the kind of meltdown where people are looking at you and they're thinking, am I doing rabbit punches to the face of my daughter? <laughs> like, what? this is not a big deal. So she's, she's going crazy and yelling and crying. And, you know, we got back to the house and we tried to have a conversation about, baby, you, you know, sometimes in life people are going to give out cranberries. You can't get nothing. I mean, we're trying to have this conversation. She doesn't get it, you know, and I'm trying to talk her through it. I am 39 years old. My daughter is 5. You see. At 5, that pain is real. We can't just say don't feel it. that pain is real. But what she needs is the perspective of a 39-year-old to just know, listen, there's going to be times when you don't get cranberries. It's not discounting the pain, but it's understanding there's a need for an additional perspective. And what we need is the perspective of our Heavenly Father, who looks down at the trials and circumstances that we are in, and He says, yes, you will have pain. But what you need is my perspective in the midst of your pain. And knowing that a loving Father cares for you through it. Really, when we are in that trial in that moment what we're asking god is god help me to see this like you see it i don't see it i don't i don't really i don't see this like you see it but i long for and he promises this so so add this to your prayer requests when you're going around in the room and they say how can i pray for you when you know i'm you know i'm going through and just get, get me out of it lord lord help me to see this like you see it and so In these last few verses, he says this. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown, tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable. When he's talking about doubting and when he's talking about being unstable... All doubting is, is fixing my eyes on my current circumstance. That's all it is. It's being so fixed on the circumstance that I begin to lose trust in God. And the imagery of a wave tossed to and fro is the fact that I am focusing on God and focusing on the circumstance at the same time. So he says the heartbeat of it is that it's not that God is robbing you in some way. In verse 7, he shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. He's not being mean. It's the fact that you won't be able to tell whether God gave you whatever he gave you in the end or whether things just worked out because you were so focused on both that you won't be able to just genuinely give him praise in the end. So what he's saying is, focus on me. Completely trust in me. Completely give all your attention to me. Now, even if you don't see that as working out, look what he says in verse 8. Because that kind of person, here's what they are. They're double-minded because they're focused on the circumstance and they're focused on God. But this is what they are. They're unstable. And that word is they're uncertain. They're hesitating. And they're restless. They're restless. No peace. No joy. No trust. They're restless. And that could be very, very much where you're at this afternoon. You're restless. Is is it going to work out? Did I marry the wrong person? Did I come to the right place? Am I in the right situation? What did I do wrong? And you're fixated on the circumstance. And God is saying, lift your eyes to me and focus on me. And it seems irrational. But God calls us to have an irrational courage, an irrational almost, an almost irrational faith to trust in the midst of the hardest, hardest moments. If you completely keep your eyes on your current situation, you'll just look for a way out. But if you are just fixated on Jesus, you'll be looking to him, trusting him, waiting on him. And you'll wait for him and you'll wait for him and say, I know that you're going to move. I'm just going to keep waiting and waiting and trusting. And you believe that he will do what he will do. If you go back to the earlier verse when we talked about being complete, and this is his process to make us complete, the unfortunate place that we could be is that you could live a life, your whole life, with God having certain trials and projects that are just incomplete. Where the, the actual point of the trial that he had you in never got finished. And so what you have to remember is that if you endure, you'll mature. If you endure. Now, keep this in mind. Maturity, as I said before, comes other ways in other situations in life. But if persevering faith is the way that God does it, then we have to trust him through the toughest and most intense moments. We are closing this series today. And as we close our heartbeat is that you would be able to trust him. And so we even put together this prayer. And the prayer reads like this. Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this until you choose to remove this. Grant me the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say. Now what we're going to do is... On our Facebook page, we're actually going to make that look all pretty, and we're going to allow you to be able to take it, and it can end up being your lock screen, so that you can even put it on your phone, and when you're in seasons, when you're confused, you can go back and just look right on your phone. See, back in the day, I would make bookmarks, and I'd make things for the fridge, but we don't do that no more. So now we got to make stuff for your phone, because that's the epicenter of the world. But if you will look down on your phone and you just come back to that prayer, my prayer is that you will be an enduring Christian. But my final word about this message is it's time to grow up for some of us. It really is time to grow up as a Christian. The world is chock full of Christians who have the badge of Christ but when you hear them talk there's no deep trust but it's time for you to grow up it's time for you to know where maturity comes from it comes from the place of pain and the place of tears that's where it comes from and 20 years from now you'll look back and you'll help someone and they'll be in the same situation as you and they'll hear the maturity in your voice And they'll begin to look to you like a hero. And you'll seem like one of the people out of the New Testament. Strange and awkward. You have this irrational courage in this God. That's what God's plan is for you. That's what God's plan is for us as a church. But I pray you don't discount what he's doing in your life even now. The trial he has you in even now. Intended for your maturity. It's time to grow. It's time to grow up. I want to pray for you and I want to pray for um, where you're at today. And I want to pray for your trust in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian here today, I want you to feel the freedom of knowing that this is what God says, how he uses the hard things in life. And we see that he was able to turn a cross, something only made for death penalty. And it now is the point of our praise. He's able to totally transform that. And in that moment, he takes away our sin debt. And I pray that if you don't know him here today, that that would be a choice you make. Christ would take away your sin and give you his resume, his perfect and righteous resume. I pray that if you do feel stuck, know that you are not stuck. Know that you've been assigned. Know that you have been placed there. He has placed you there. No. No, you're not stuck. No. You have a loving God that has a dynamic plan for you. No need to hang out with all your friends and talk about, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it hurts, but God is working. You've been assigned, and you will endure this, and you will make it through this season, and you will be stronger, and you will hate the trial, but you'll love the results. he has designed you to endure this trial. And you will not need to live in fear. Holy Spirit, I just pray for your presence. I pray, God, that when we are questioning and doubting, I pray, God, keep our eyes fixed on you. Our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Remove the distractions. Take away just the rage I have from my trial and replace it with praise for you. And God, for those that are here that feel like they're on their last leg, they hobbled here into the church and they're not certain of what to do. God, would you be so close to them right now? Be close. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. God, we love you, we pray that you just have blessing over this series and over this time. We pray, God, that you would just continue to change and transform us and build us up in our faith. In Christ's name we do pray.
2: Be here this afternoon, and it might be really tough for you to say that phrase. It may not feel like it's well with you right now. You might be saying to yourself, it isn't well. And, and that passage in James where, where he says, count it all joy when you, exp- ex- you know, experience trials, just doesn't, you can't relate to that. Well, the good news is you're not alone. I can think of a time in the New Testament, the Gospels, where Peter goes out into a boat to see Jesus and, and he's walking on water as he's looking in the face of Jesus. But what happens is there's some storms that arise. And the storms begin to blow, and those that the winds and the waves begin to push him back and forth, and all of a sudden he takes his eyes off of Jesus and onto his situation and he begins to sink. And what happens is Jesus reaches down and pulls him up. You you might be here today and you you just need somebody to pull you up. The scriptures also tell us that it's it's not good for a person to walk by themselves because if they fall down in the pit, no one can pick them up. But but when they walk together, they're able to be pulled up. Well, we wanna give you an opportunity this afternoon, to be pulled up. And we do that by supporting each other in prayer, ready to pray with you, to pray for you, to pray over you. But we believe that this God, this Jesus, he still is pulling people out from terrible and difficult situations. So we invite you in this next few moments to experience and receive that prayer either at the station or writing it down. Can see, and this mountain that's in for.
0: Singing, through it all, my eyes are on you. In the midst of it all, all, the trials. It, all, it is well. We're choosing to say it's okay. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with me. Let's just stay there for a little bit. Father God, we thank you. We thank you. This, this, this is nice, Lord God. How about we went through this every day, Lord God? We make this an exercise to say it is well with my soul every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, Lord God. What if we did that, Lord God? What would that look like, Lord God? What would would that look like if we did that? What kind of Christian would we be, Lord God, if we did that? How would non-believers view us if we did that? Every day, with our hearts said, it is well with my soul. No matter what I'm going through, I trust in my God. We will really be believers. Really be believers. One more time, we'll just say, through it all. As one church, one voice, one believer, this whole building will say, through it all.
2: Father, we come before you and we declare by faith that it is well with us today. God, that this season that you have us in, that even our circumstances are not by a coincidence, are not by happenstance, and you have not forgotten, but you see, and that these things too come to strengthen our faith. Would you help us to see that? Heavenly Father, we believe you will use this until you choose to remove it. Grant us the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.